Now, I was a bit worried that nobody would show up today when I uh, told, spoke about the theme to uh, Rhoda, because it is about good old-fashioned repentance. And that is not the most happy theme now, is there? Now, I remember the stories of people who are slightly older than me, um, how they used to attend church when they were younger, and it was all about how sinful we all are. It's all about God's wrath. Um, colloquially, but not necessarily cordially, called a fire and brimstone church. You can imagine, it's, it's not that much fun. And then there are other stories about these warm and fuzzy churches. Everything is okay. There is no problem at all, no sin. We're all good friends. Um, the absolute opposite. Now, I believe that the gospel, the passage we read today, teaches us that the true character of God lies in the tension between both of these stances. God is a God of grace and God is a God of judgment. The same God who waits one more year for the fig tree to bear the fruit of repentance will one day judge. God is patient, yes, God is patient, but when it comes to injustice, God patience runs short. And still this same God who judges all injustice is simultaneous, simultaneously at the same time reaching out to those who long to repent, to return to God. I wonder what it is that you think of brothers and sisters when you think of repentance. What, what does that evoke in your mind? And I'm wondering because the word is often associated with God's wrath. Now some of you might know that in its origin, the meaning of the word repentance itself, as used in both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, refers to lament or regret, a change of mind. It is not so much about God's wrath as about our opportunity to turn again to God. And with this thought of repentance, um, I always have this idea of a sunflower in mind. It keeps turning towards the sun. And what do you think of when you hear the word sin? What does that mean to you? Because as it turns out, in the original language, it means something along the lines of missing your aim. And what is our aim as God's beloved? Is it not to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves? Is that then what sin is? That which lacks God's love? And when we miss our aim, when we sin, we can return and try again. Repent. I know of a priest in a parish where it is common to do corporate confession at the beginning of the service, and this priest pronounces the absolution after a silence so short that you don't really have the time to enumerate all your sins. It goes a bit like this. Let us now in silence confess our sins. May the almighty God bring you his pardon. You just don't have any time to really think about it. And I love it because every single time it reminds me that the most important thing is not 
our sin itself, but what do we do afterwards? When we're aware of our sin, do we turn back to God? How do we respond to the gospel? Do we recognize our sin and do we respond with repentance? Or do we just keep going on as we did before, dwelling in our sin? So brothers and sisters, I have some trick questions for you. What is the gravest sin you or I have committed? What is worse? Colonialism in the former Congo? The wars in Rwanda and former Yugoslavia? Or terrorist attacks? Or is it climate change? Who's worse, the Brexiteers or the Remainers? Or should we look at it at an even more personal level? What is the greatest sin, not giving a dime to a panhandler or sponsoring another one's addiction? Eating cheap chocolate that is produced through slavery, being rude to a colleague, or yelling at someone at a traffic light? Okay, so I know how important a clean kitchen is to my partner, um, but this morning, in preparing for the service, I forgot to clear the dishwasher. But that's not too bad of a sin in comparison with all the atrocities now, is it? These sins don't compare to each other. And you know what, brothers and sisters? It doesn't even matter. The account in Luke encourages us when considering the history of our ancestors, which is our own history as well, not to dwell on the sins and their gravity. Determining the weight of the sin is completely beside the point. It is sin and it does require repentance, period. Colonialism, war, and road rage, they hurt people. They are sin and they require repentance. Now, isn't that a shocking message? Isn't that rather countercultural? To put the emphasis on the fruits of repentance and not on the gravity of the sin? Now, there is also a message in this reading for all those who are hurt by the sin of a brother or a sister. God cares about you. God cares about you. God is calling the sinners who sinned against you to repentance because God does not want God's beloved to be in pain. God calls those of us who fall short to do better. The barren fig tree in Luke 13 represents the audience of the gospel and more specifically, it represents all the times that we have been listening to Jesus without bearing the fruits of repentance. I mean, we listen to Jesus all the time. But do we really listen? Do we return to God so that we can bear fruit? Or do we persist in being a barren fig tree? And our generation is definitely not alone in this. We learn from the Corinthians who have been listening to the stories of Abraham and Moses and other witnesses. And yet, according to Paul, some of them still do not see Christ as a source of their enlightenment and security. 
For this, Paul encourages them to consider the scriptures and to not make the same mistakes as their ancestors did. To not dwell on the nature of their sin, but to learn to recognize their sin and move on to the repentance that follows. To turn towards Christ. The same Christ through which we ourselves know of God's love for us. So now I wonder, brothers and sisters, is our repentance, our return to God, is it true, fruit-bearing repentance? Or is it still centered on our own salvation? Is it focused, turns towards God, or is it rooted in the concern for our own soul? What is the fruit of repentance? Because there is a risk here. The risk of defining the fruits of repentance in terms of our own personal salvation. Are we saved or not becomes a question. Ignoring whether or not what we intend to do is rooted in God's love. And we have a tendency to know exactly where our salvation lies. It's in daily prayer, in church attendance, in volunteer work, in good deeds. But none of this, none of this, none of what we do is in itself the fruit of repentance, if it is not with the purpose of loving Christ. Of course, there's nothing wrong with attending church or reading the Bible, but is, do we do it because of God's love, or do we do it just to make sure that we score enough points to get into heaven? In this respect, let us continuously keep investigating our thoughts and our actions, because it, it is Paul's warning. Paul warns us, if we think we are standing firm, we should be careful that we don't fall. So dear people of God, if we should one day find that whatever we have been doing in our lives that some part of our behavior, our words and deeds are not oriented towards God. Let us change our minds. Let us have a change of mind and a change of heart and let us try again and again and again and again. The God who judges our behavior is the same God as a gracious God who gives us yet another and another and another chance to turn away from sin, be faithful to Christ, and bear the fruits of repentance. What a joy. What a joy we can have in knowing our loving God makes repentance an option. So keep in mind the rest of the story. The one who takes care of the vineyard does not want to give up. We can rejoice in having a gracious and merciful God to whom we can turn to help us to love each other and to be loved. God's judgment goes hand in hand with God's grace. Amen.